Welcome to episode 388 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. And if you listened last week on our episode with Brian Tatler of Saxon and Diamond Head, in the intro to that I mentioned that I was going to put out another episode pretty quick going over a few things that got missed in the past month or two because I took a you know, short hiatus. I was out of town a lot, and part of what I'm going to talk about now is some things that happened when I was out of town, but I got back in in town around Christmas, and then after New Year's, like I mentioned on the last episode, took a hiatus. All that to be, all that being said to let you know that if you, you know, follow this podcast, you know the last episode of every year has always been the best of that year's albums. You know, the album list, the top 15 of 2015. And then henceforth every year since until 2023. I got back, you know, like I said, right around Christmas and, and didn't get it done before New Year's and thought, well, I'll put this out right after the New Year. Not a big deal. And then New Year came and I went ahead and just went on the hiatus quicker than I thought I would. So I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm still going to do it. What's it matter? I know it's not timely. I know it's not relevant to people's lives. With this being this a month, well, at this point, you know, we're in early February. And a lot of people put out their best of the year episodes in early to mid-December, usually early December. You know, I've always held off till mid to late. You know, there's always a couple straggler albums in there. I don't think there were this year, but there's actually a couple albums on my list that wouldn't be there if I did this at the beginning of December because I really latched on them or latched onto them you know, late in the year, the very end of the year. So these are ones that fit right in with what I love. So that's what we're going to talk about. But that's not this whole episode. Like I said, we're going to talk about a couple other things, a couple big things, as you see there on the title. A couple concerts that happened out of country that I happened to be around. So I wanted to, you know, just kind of go over them because it's a unique, unique experience. But first, I need to let you know, as always, who sponsors this podcast, and that would be Sunset Tattoo, a tattoo shop located right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Midtown Tulsa. Tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed, and they are mother approved. Jake Thompson and his crew over there have nearly 30 years of experience. They've been doing tattoos for a long-ass time, and you can check out photos of all their work on their social media, Facebook, and Instagram are both Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. They specialize in all different styles. I've got work done by them. I know many other people that have as well. I'm looking forward to getting more done. If you call, text, email, whatever it is you do, you can set up a time to go in there to talk about what work you're looking to have done. They also accept walk-ins, so hit up Sunset Tattoo and let them know, let them know you heard about them right here on Thunder Underground. We've also got DEB Concerts concert promoter based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that continually brings in great music to this area. I believe that their first show they officially put on, you know, they were a part of Streets Gone Wild, but the first show they put on as DEB Concerts was in 2016, in January 2016. I just saw it recently posted that it was the seven-year anniversary of that first show, which was Winger. And I remember that show, excellent, winger in that small, in the ideal ballroom, you know, absolutely, 
I could go on and on about Winger. And in fact, I might hear in a little bit, you know, just a, a hint of what's to come. But on this best of, you know, that I'm doing this time around, I'm going to try to keep it, you know, a little more tighter than I usually do on these things where I ramble for two hours. That's not going to happen this time, I promise. But look, I just went on a wild tangent during my sponsor time. Back to DEB Concerts. They are bringing Last in Line back to Tulsa. And they are bringing Lita Ford back to Tulsa. And guess what? They're on the same night. April 6th, Saturday night. It's going to be a party at the Shrine. Excuse me, at the Vanguard in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hit up the Vanguard's website for tickets. Hit up dbconcerts.com for ticket info. Follow them on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are all DEB Concerts. Give them a follow so you're kept up to date on all the future stuff. I'll be keeping you up to date on all that as well. And once again, a huge thank you to DEB Concerts. All right, so like I said, back in... Late November, I went to Japan for the first time in my life with a couple friends. Actually, it ended up being like five total friends throughout this process, but three of us traveled together. Another friend joined us in Tokyo, and then we met up with some other friends in Kyoto. When we were in Japan, you know, one of my, you know, I'm going to, preface this by saying that one of my lifelong, you know, bucket list dreams or goals or whatever has been to see a concert outside of the United States, wherever, you know, Vancouver, Canada, Mexico City, another continent in its entirety. And that's, you know, the first time it happened for me. You know, I've been to other countries. I've seen bands in other countries in a bar, you know, just a random cover band or something at a bar I was at when I was in Mexico or Italy and these other places, Aruba, I remember, but I've never went to a concert. You know, I've always had these lavish dreams of going, you know, me and Jason used to always talk about, you know, saving up money and one of these years going to Vakken or Hellfest or one of the big, you know, European metal fests. But, you know, realistically, I thought, you know, if this does happen, it'll probably be some random, you know, occurrence that makes it happen. And sure enough, you know, here we are. The the reason this happened, you know, was once I started working in the live music industry, you know, you get to know a lot of people. And, you know, when we were heading out there, I looked up to see if there were any concerts happening. And I didn't, you know, I didn't come across any on Polestar. For some reason, this wasn't listed, but... You know, one of my friends that went with me, Mitch, you know, he mentioned, hey, you know, I saw that the Long Beach Dub All-Stars are going to be in Tokyo at the same time we're there. And I happen to know their tour manager. So he hit him up, got us in the show. You know, so a huge thanks to Mitch and a huge thanks to, you know, Long Beach Dub All-Stars tour manager. I'm slipping on the name right now. I apologize. But brought us in there and, you know, we got the chance to see him at a venue called Life is Game in Shibuya, Tokyo. And it was just kind of everything that I ever dreamed going to a show in another country in a club, you know. You also have those dreams, like I said, Bakken or something like that. But this is like a totally different element and totally different kind of music, to be honest. 
But seeing him in this club or going into this club in another country, especially in a country like Japan where they are passionate about music and getting to see that firsthand is everything, you know, that I hoped it would be. I, you know, the place was packed. I don't, I assume it was sold out. If it's not, they couldn't have fit a few more people in there if they were lucky. But, you know, it was a, you know, a cool bar club atmosphere. You know, it had, you know, a second, I mean, it wasn't like a balcony level, but when you come in, you know, the level drops down. I forgot what that's called when it recesses down from the, to the, you know, to a lower level right in front of the stage, um, like a pit area, but it was bigger than a, a pit. But anyway, and then, so, you know, you could, you know, see great from wherever, where you're at. Just a, you know, without sounding dirty or something, just a totally, you know, insanely memorable rock and roll experience. The owner of the club came up to us within a couple minutes of us being in there, you know, because we, you know, honestly, we stood out, you know, for non-Japanese people standing in a club full of Japanese people. You know, he walked up, asked where we're from. We told him, you know, different parts of the United States. And, you know, he, you know, was super appreciative and happy that we were there. So that was really cool, you know, to get the experience to meet him as well. And just to see the Long Beach Dub All-Stars, you know, they're, you know, if you're not familiar with them, they're in the ska, reggae, you know, that kind of vein. You know, Long Beach Dub All-Stars started after Sublime ended whenever, you know, Bradley Knoll died. They, at least two of the members, I believe it was, maybe three, you know, started Long Beach Dub All-Stars. And then, you know, throughout the years, they've had, you know, a couple of those core members left, but they've had, you know, other guys step in. The You know, Opie, who is the singer, you know, originally did Sublime's album cover artwork. You know, they've got other members of the band that were contributors to Sublime Music. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that's really intertwined with the history of Sublime throughout the years. So, but to, you know, see them live full of energy, the crowd, you know, absolutely loving it. And, you know, I, I went in here, you know, I'm just a geek in another country. I was wearing my anthrax sound of white noise shirt and, you know, in a club watching, like I said, a, a reggae infused styled rock band. I had, probably six or eight people, you know, in that club walk up to me and, you know, compliment the anthrax shirts. So, you know, and that, that's one of the things I've always appreciated about Japan, European countries, South American countries, or their passion for not just, you know, heavy metal that we've talked about many times in this podcast or hard rock, but their passion for music in general, you know, these people are in here, they're diehard fans of music. And that's what I love. You know, I love the fact that you can go see a band like Long Beach Dub All-Stars and you're amongst fans that also love heavy metal. Or you can go to heavy metal and be amongst fans that love, you know, reggae rock or whatever the correct genre term would be. But, you know, I just wanted to, you know, mention that because it was just a fun experience for me. You know, nothing, you know, earth shattering for anyone to hear about. but. Japan is, you know, so the, you know, the fans that are so passionate about music, it's still a very, you know, in America, you know, at least, you know, cause that's what I know is the physical product 
you know, has long since passed to the wayside. You know, the compact disc, the cassette, the record and all that. Vinyl, you know, has made a comeback, obviously, in the past decade. But it's more for a collector thing or a diehard thing. Your average consumer doesn't go and buy a vinyl just because the new album by a band they like came out. They listen to it, you know, on Spotify or YouTube or whatever. But Japan, they do that as well. However, they also still buy the music. And I made a point to go in a few record stores. And it just, as a music geek, it just blows your mind. You know, walking around in here, it's like the old days of going in record stores. I mean, we still have record stores all over America, but there's, you know, a lot less than it used to be. You know, vinyl, again, has kind of built that back up a bit. You know, Tulsa has several great vinyl stores now, record shops. And I know that many other cities do as well because I've checked them out. But just going in Japan and being able to see, you know, just racks, walls full of CDs. And people are still buying these things, you know. And I just, of course, I had to, you know, I grabbed six or eight CDs like an Anthrax, a Machine Head, Corrosion and Conformity, stuff like Iron Maiden, Metallica, just because, you know, I saw them and they're, you know, a couple bucks and perfect condition. And it's got the Japanese sleeve on it and the artwork, you know, and the, the extra tracks. So it's just a cool experience to be able to do that. And I also bought a couple vinyls. And yes, I bought loudness vinyls. That was my sole intention as a dork to be able to say that I went into a record store in Tokyo, Japan and bought a Loudness record. I was just flipping through, found two of Loudness's albums, and I think I spent a grand total of $7 for the two of them together. And that's the other thing. Tons of their product is, you know... I didn't look too much at anything new when it came to music while I was over there. I mean, you know, the the new stuff is what I meant. I just looked at all the, you know, the used records and CDs and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the prices were better. But that's how everything is in Japan. I don't even need to go into that. You'd be blown away. But one of the record stores I went into was mainly, mainly compact discs. And books, if I remember right, they didn't have much, you know, they had or they, no tons of like DVDs and Blu-rays of like live shows. And it was just kind of just one I went in on a whim because I just saw it was a store selling music, but didn't realize once I got in there and started looking. A good chunk of probably seven, you know, they sold some, you know, tons of like official releases, but 75% of what they were selling was live bootlegs, whether it be on blu-ray or on compact disc and i was like man if if i didn't have a weight limit on my baggage coming back and i did i bought you know luggage there to bring more back you know another story for i'm just talking about souvenirs in general but i would have got a third bag if i you know if, if weight and weight too high prices on an airline to check a third bag would be I would have got another bag and filled it full of this stuff because I'm not exaggerating. It just blew my mind. You know, just I bought when I was in this guy's store, I bought two compact discs. They were Guns N' Roses and ACDC, both live at Power Trip. 
you know, from last October 2023. You know, I happened to be there and see those performances. So to be able to, you know, it's always been one of my things throughout the years. Anytime I've seen a a recording of a live performance that I was at in person, I always want to get it. But just to be able to see those there, and yeah, I looked, you know, to see if I could find the Iron Maiden or Judas Priest or, who am I forgetting? Metallica, obviously. I looked to see if I could find, you know, the bootlegs, a bootleg of them from Power Trip, but no luck. So, and then the other thing I wanted to mention as far as Japan goes when it comes to music is when we went, when we did this trip, it wasn't just Tokyo. We went Tokyo. We went to a small town at Mount Fuji. We went to Kyoto. We went to Nagoya. And then we finished the trip in Osaka. And when we were in Kyoto, we happened to go into a bar. This pure definition of a dive bar. You know, extremely small. I don't know. At its capacity, you know, would probably be 30 people. Not exaggerating, you know, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say more than 20 comfortably, but you know, I mean, I could be wrong, but just what I'm remembering. And, you know, one of our friends we had met up with that, you know, work a lot of stuff with Julie, you know, she happened to have, I can't remember if she had already went in this bar. I think, yeah, she had already went in this bar. She had read about it one or the other and mentioned, yeah, I think you'd really like it because it's very rock and roll centric. And all the reviews of this place were talking about the the owner, who is the bartender, you know, just runs the show by himself. And, you know, how knowledgeable he is about music. He's always playing his own vinyl. And it's just a, you know, a great time. So we went into this bar and let me think. There was five, I believe five of us at a table. So you might have been able to fit one more. There was a table next to us that had like five or six people. And I don't think there might have been a third empty table. And in the bar, you know, might have had four, four, maybe six seats. I don't know. So see, like I said, you know, we're not talking more than a 25 cap room. But <laughs> So this, you know, just like Julie had mentioned with these reviews or whatever, this, this guy was, you know, you walk in and you see him and you know, okay. You know, I trust this man when it comes to rock and roll. He looked like, you know, an old school rocker. And, you know, he was very outgoing, very personable. And, you know, he had he had bar menus for the, you know, what he had on, you know, what his liquors and cocktails and that kind of stuff was. But he had them made as he had the front of the bar, or excuse me, the front of the menu was the cover of a, you know, famous album. I didn't see, I remember the one we had was, um, I said, why am I drawing them? I was a psychedelic first. And then I'm trying to remember, I'd saw another one of talking heads. And I think a, an ACDC. So it's, or maybe a Rolling Stones, but you know, so you see, it's not just like heavy metal, hard rock. This was like pure rock and roll. And he even, you know, had Rolling Stones stuff everywhere. And I had asked for his business card. Or not, didn't ask for his business card. I just asked if he had social media, only social media, and he handed me a business card. And at the bottom of his business card, I've got it right here in my hand. It says it has the Rolling Stones logo, and it just says we love the Rolling Stones. I mean, how? What? What do you need to know besides that to know that that's 
pure definition of rock and roll. To me, I mean, at the pure, purest core of rock and roll, broke broke down to just rock and roll. I mean, it's the Rolling Stones, right? Maybe Tom Petty. I don't. I don't really know who you who else you say is just that's just the core sound of rock and roll, right? But I digress. Um, he had stacks, stacks of vinyl. I wish I'd taken a photo of the actual bar. Um, and it said, you know, we take requests or whatever, blah, blah, blah. He's, and he was, it was all over the place. He played a couple of things. He started playing Gojira while we were in there, you know, so he goes heavy. And then he started playing, I think the Beatles at one point. And then, so, you know, I go up and order a drink and I said, so you take requests, right? And he said, yes, what would you like to hear? And I said, do you have any faith no more? And thinking, you know, when it comes to vinyl, Maybe not, but I'm sure he was also... I didn't really watch to see if he put a vinyl on, because I think he was also running Bluetooth as well. But he's like, yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll see what I got. And then, you know, I go sit down. Like, ten minutes later, Land of Sunshine kicks on, which is the opening track of Angel Dust. And, you know, that kind of took me by surprise, because I was expecting, you know, Epic or something easy or something, you know, just a hit song, you know, throw it on you know, whatever the, what word am I looking for? You know, satiate, is that right? Um, fulfill, there we go, the request that someone asked, you know, throw on Faith Nowhere, but he put on Angel Dust and played, I believe it was the first four songs, you know, which would be Land of Sunshine, is it Caffeine that's next? Yeah, Caffeine, then Midlife Crisis, and then RV. And I was like, well, this is fucking amazing. You know, this is what I dream of. You know, this is, I wish this bar was somewhere in America, but then it wouldn't be the same thing, right? Because it wouldn't be the Japanese rock and roll bar. You know, it's, like I said, it was, I didn't even mention it was called the Kyoto Rock Bar ING. I don't, I assume that's, you know, I didn't, I mean, this isn't something I, I asked. It was on the sign and on the business card, but it just says ING. So I don't know if that's pronounced ING or if it's set out ING, but, or if that's the, English translation of something that, you know, that means something else, you know, I don't know, but the Japanese characters, you know, translate into a rocking bar and then it's just the, you know, the Kyoto rock bar ING. So get on Facebook or Instagram. Let me see here. Let me pull this back around. Like I said, Facebook is at Kyoto ING BAR. And then on Twitter. He is I-N-G-H-A-C-O. So give it a follow. And if you are happen to be in Japan or going to Japan and you're in the Kyoto area, I highly suggest it just because of everything I mentioned earlier. Besides Mount Fuji, Kyoto was my favorite area we visited in Japan. Highly recommend it to anyone that gets the chance to visit Japan. But yeah, if you find yourself in Kyoto, hit this place up. Very cool. All right, so after we finished in Japan, the whole reason we, you know, made this trip to Japan, it was me, like I said, my friends Mitch and Seb, and then our friend Max met us there, and then Julie, you know, Julie and Sydney had met us later. But me and Mitch and Seb had planned this trip because we were going 
to Saudi Arabia for the music festival Soundstorm. And you may be thinking, why in the hell would you go clear to Saudi Arabia for a festival? And if you're Googling right now, Soundstorm doesn't really seem like anything that has to do with hard rock or heavy metal, right? But no, you know, I've talked about it before in this podcast. If you're not a, if you're a casual listener, you may not know that I work, you know, events, music festivals mainly. And so we were going to work this festival Soundstorm in Saudi Arabia. So we took the opportunity, since, you know, we're already flying halfway around the world, to fly to Japan before we went there. So now we're on the way to Saudi Arabia to work Soundstorm. And Soundstorm, you know, has been around, this is the fourth year, I believe. Last year was the third one, and that's the first time, in 2022 was the third one, that's the first time that we had worked it and our team had worked it. And the the lineup, you know, the headliners were pop you know, Bruno Mars and Post Malone, that kind of stuff. And then there was a lot of EDM. And then, you know, a few other, you know, European pop artists, you know, sprinkled in, but that's mainly what it was. And then this year, you know, they went a little bit more hip hop. They went a little bit more um, American, I guess would be the right word. Because, you know, they, they had the headliners last year, but the majority of the lineup wasn't. This year had a lot more. They had Fer- Pharrell. When friends and like they had, um, now I'm drawing a blank on even the friggin' lineup, but I mean, it had like other non, you know, kind of EDM or strictly pop acts. But then the big one being they announced that Metallica was one of the headliners and Metallica got announced, I think, while we were on the way to Japan or somewhere. It was like within like two or three weeks, it was like some crazy quick come together thing. And I'm I'm bringing this up because I, you know, I didn't get the chance, you know, this, you know, a lot of the shows I work, some shows, you know, you get the chance to go in and see the show, depending on what role you're doing, whatever. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. This is one of the shows where I didn't get the chance to go in there. Like at Power Trip, I saw a good chunk of Metallic. I've seen this band many times throughout the year, so that's not a worry. But what I just talked about earlier, seeing bands in other countries, to be able to say you saw Metallica in their first ever time in a country, you know, it's pretty amazing. This is the first time they have ever been in Saudi Arabia. They're actually the first, I believe, strictly heavy metal band. No, they're the second. There's a heavy metal band from somewhere in the Middle East that played there last year. But anyway, um, I didn't get the chance to go in and watch the show, but I was outside in the vicinity where I could hear this thing very well. So I feel, you know, I can talk about it because of that. The main thing I wanted to talk about is I just, it kind of, you know, took me by shock that they were announced because of the way the lineup was built. You know, Metallica does a lot of of these multi-genre festivals, you know, so that's nothing new. But just the fact that this is one that's very specific to where there's barely any rock, you know, or any, especially any heavy rock on there. And they... The, the thing that, you know, that, that really took me up front is I'm like, you know, if this had had a little bit more time, if they had been announced a couple months ago, then maybe you'd get a bigger crowd of people coming just to see Metallica. You know, because like I said, they haven't been to this country before. So this is a first time opportunity for a lot of people. 
And then for the people that have already bought tickets, you know, sure, like I said, you know, I don't know the temperament of how people listen to music in the Middle East, but I, like I said, in Japan, people are very open, a lot more, seem a lot more open-minded than a good chunk of your core American audience. You know, maybe the Middle East is the same way, I don't know, but the thing that I thought is I'm like, a lot of these people bought tickets to this because they're fans of this, this style of music, this, you know, festival has always been. So are they really going to care? You know, are they going to be, you know, 19, 20 year old kids that listen to a totally different genre and don't even know Inner Sandman, you know, I mean, which seems weird to think. But again, Metallica is basically one of the biggest rock bands, if not the biggest rock band in the world. So people probably know Inner Sandman, right? Or nothing else matters. Maybe they know Master Puppets, even if they're young because of Stranger Things, right? But so that wasn't really a concern, I guess. I mean, anything to concern myself with, but it's just something I, you know, was interested about. And then one of my, you know, lifelong friends, Michael Thrasher, was also working the show with me. And he was actually out in town a lot more because he was a runner. And he said that he talked to several people, like when he would go into business and they asked him what he, you know, what he was there for. And he told them, they'd be like, oh yeah. You know, he said he had three or four people tell him that they really love Metallica. And they think it's great that they're there, but they're not going to go because they don't want to deal with going to, you know, a show with 150,000 people, you know, just for an hour and a half, <laughs> which, you know, sounds like something I would say, but again, I'm extremely spoiled when it comes to concerts throughout my life compared to someone in Saudi Arabia, you know, who's just now getting these opportunities over the past few years and getting their first opportunity for this specific band we're talking about. But everything I heard from, like I said, I could hear it, you know, it's tip Metallica always, in my opinion, comes off great live. You know, it's always a fun time, cool energy from, you know, Hetfield's always doing his thing as a great frontman. And, you know, I could hear a crowd cheering noise, you know, between every song. So apparently they did their thing. You know, I did see, you know, I went in that first day, like as soon as, you know, as soon as the gates opened, so I run in there to, you know, buy myself and some friends Metallica, you know, t-shirts, the Saudi Arabia for the Saudi Arabia show, because that's pretty unique. And I saw four guys, you know, walking by that I, you know, kind of wish now that I had taken a photo with. You know, they were young dudes, probably 20s, early 20s. You know, that were just like decked out, head to toe, looked like 1986 in the Bay Area of California in the height of thrash. You know, they just looked like, you know, thrash kids from the 80s. And I just thought that was excellent to see it, you know. So there's, you know, an example of people that probably showed up, obviously, for Metallica and weren't going to come the other days of the show. But, you know, just, you know, just to see what you see, like, on, you know, documentaries or on videos whenever a band you like's in another country. And to see how passionate fans are. But just, you know, I should have went up and talked to these guys, but I digress. Maybe next year, or this, actually, like I said, I'm doing all this stuff late. So this year, we're in 2024 now. Maybe they'll have other rock bands there, and I'll talk to fans of those. You know, which is would have made sense to talk to for this podcast, right? But again, I digress. You know, maybe I'll think ahead better next time. 
All right, so let's jump into this best of 2023 excessively late rundown that I, you know, mentioned up front that I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to keep this, like I said, to a minimal mention. You know, whenever I mention the album, I'm just going to talk briefly. I'm going to, you know, am I, am I going to be able to pull this off? Probably not. You know, I'll be upfront about it, but I'm, this is what I'm going to attempt to do because I don't want to spend, I know there's some of these albums and I'll say that and end up talking about it for seven minutes, but I'm going to try to skip that. I'm not going to try to do this full on thing. Cause like I said, we're way excessively late on this. You know, usually I have, you know, a bunch of broke down, like, you know, albums that I was surprised that I didn't like, or, you know, by bands that I love or like, you know, our non, you know, a few honorable mention, like non rock or metal albums, you know, from other genres that I was really digging or what am I really looking forward to coming out in 2024? All that stuff. I didn't put any of that together. All I put together was a list of albums that didn't make my list. So I could kind of skim through them, you know, real quick, you know, a few albums that came out this year and most of these albums, you know, some of them, I didn't really write down ones that I just didn't like or didn't care about. Because I'm like, what's the point of mentioning it? But some of these albums, you know, I thought were great. But, like I said, you gotta cut it off somewhere, right? So, these are all albums that came out this year. Powerwolf, you know, these are all bands, excuse me, that had albums come out this year. Powerwolf, L.A. Guns. And I keep saying this year, sorry, 2023. I'll start over. Powerwolf, L.A. Guns, the... Real LA Guns put out an album last year called Diamonds. If you go on Spotify, the first LA Guns album that pops up just came out here in 2024, but that's not really LA Guns. That's that bastardized version of LA Guns called Riley's LA Guns. But anyway, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the actual LA Guns. And the song called Diamond on that album is fucking phenomenal. But see, look at this, folks. I'm already freaking going on a tangent. It's the second band I mentioned. But anyway, jumping back in. Overkill had a great album. Unearth. Devil Driver. Dropkick Murphys. Avenged Sevenfold. Buck Cherry. Buck Cherry is a band that I've loved since they debuted. But the last several albums, I just have not latched onto them at all. But this one is the first one, I believe, since Keith Nelson left that I've really liked. You know, the majority of the album. Just throwing that out there. Joel Hoekstra's 13. Death Ray Vision. If you're not familiar with them and you love thrashy stuff, check it out. Heavy stuff. Cavalera. Mutoid Man. Saul. Saul's newest album's really cool. And Blake Betsall, the vocalist of Saul, was on this podcast last fall, so check that out. Seven Dust. Another great album from them, which is would be at the top, probably the top of my list of albums that I was surprised didn't make my best of 2023. You know, it's a band that never puts out bad music. I don't think this album is bad music, but I just don't think it's as great as it didn't. I didn't latch onto it the way I do a lot of Seven Dust albums. Filter. Let me see. Otto. That's the band that features Rob Trujillo's son on bass, right? That album is freaking cool. These next several I'm going to mention. Well, let me mention a few more first. Creeping Death. 
Sleep Token had an album out, and you know, people are going apeshit about this band. I finally listened to them towards the end of the year, and just, you know, if you like them, that's great. I don't dislike them, but it's just kind of one of those bands that, to me, didn't really grab me in any way. You know, like, when I listen to Deftones or Chevelle or something like that, I'm just like, okay, I guess they're good, you know, everybody loves them, but it just doesn't do anything for me, personally. Where did I leave off? Sweet and Lynch, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, Primal Fear, all three of those albums, great. Gatekeeper, Sirith and Goal. These guys are great. They're coming to Tulsa for the two minutes to Tulsa show that is at the end of March, beginning of April. So actually it's like March 29th, 30th, right? I believe so. We'll be talking more about that as it gets closer. KK's Priest. This one... The beginning of albums that I'm kind of surprised didn't make the list again. If I had listened to it more, it probably would have. Because it's a really good album. The first album was good. It's exactly what you expect it to be. It sounds like classic Judas Priest. Because, you know, Ripper sounds like Alfred and KK sounds like KK. Well, there you go. Black Star Riders. Fantastic band. Another great album. Gearish and the Chronicles. This is the band that kind of came on the scene for me this past year. I actually think I should have looked this up. I think it was their debut. They got a song on there called Ride to Hell. Holy shit. Look these guys up if you're not familiar. Heroes and Monsters. Check that one out. Very cool album. That features Todd Damick Kearns on vocals. And he was on this podcast early last year. I think it was in January. So it's been about a year talking about that album. Steel Panther had another cool album. Revolution Saints had another great album. And that's another one that Dean Castronovo, the drummer for Journey and the drummer slash vocalist for Revolution Saints. Well, he's not the drummer per se in the live band, but I think he plays them on album. Was on this podcast last spring talking about that. They got a brand new album that is just coming out, I believe, next in a couple weeks, maybe. So be on the lookout for that. Queens of the Stone Age. Made their comeback with another great one. Lynch Mob had another great one. Extreme. Another band. Another album that would be on my... I'm shocked that this is not making my list. It's one of the albums I was most looking forward to. In a long ass time. And I think... I really need to go back and listen to it again. Because I really feel like... I overhyped it in my head so much that I was let down. By the fact that it wasn't the greatest fucking album in the history of music. I don't know. But it's really fucking cool. And that the first single, Rise, which if you listen to rock, you probably heard it at some point. But Nuno's solo on that and song is insane. Look that thing up. I promise, if you're a guitar fan, you've got to already like Nuno. If you don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. I believe that. Then the Vi Gash album. That's Vi slash Gash. Steve I and I forgot the guy's first name, but something gash. <laughs> Daniel, maybe? I can't remember. But this is an album that I really considered putting on my list, but I kind of went back and forth on it because I listened to it a lot. I really loved it, but I went back and forth because it's not really a 2023 album. I mean, it is kind of, but it's it depends on how you look at it. This is actually an album that was recorded in like 1991 or 92 or 90. It's like somewhere between 90 and 92. 
and it got shelved. Never put out. It was this album that Steve Vai collaborated with Gash, and they, you know, Gash was a singer. And, you know, it's just great melodic rock. If you love Steve Vai's guitar sound and you love stuff we've been talking about here, like Extreme or Van Halen or whatever, L.A. Guns, I guess, you know, doesn't really sound like anything like L.A. Guns, but you know what I mean. That, you know, genre, that time period of rock. And for some reason, they're just like, hey, it's 2023. It's time to maybe, you know, Steve Vai or whoever got the rights, you know, to it at this point. And that's why it came out. I never really looked up to see what the story was in that regard. But that's very much an album that I think people that love hard rock or melodic rock should check out. So, all right. I believe that's everything here on the list that did not make the list. Nope, here's a few more. Sorry. Prong. Another one I'm shocked did not make my list. It's a great album, but just I guess I was just struggling here, bumping it over the last few on my my list. They they do a cover of Russia's Working Man, which is fucking great. So check that out if you have not. Blackstone Cherry. No, and I'm kind of shocked didn't make it, but great album, great band. Nita Strauss put out a killer solo album where she's got some guest vocalists on it. Heavy stuff. You got to check that one out. Screamer is a band that a lot of you probably aren't familiar with, but really look them up. If you're into, you know, heavy rock, that's, you know, they're more in the vein of like, you know, a new wave of British heavy metal, but not really that heavy, I guess. I don't, I should have thought more about how to describe that, but Spirit Adrift. And I love these guys. If that's a band you're not familiar with and you love heavy metal, to me, I think I've mentioned this before, they're kind of like if you combined an 80s metal band like, say, Iron Maiden with a progressive metal or stoner metal band, you know, say like a Mastodon or even, I don't know, COC, something just like that kind of vein of stuff and throw it with your Maiden, you know, and you just get what you get with Spirit of Drift, so... Now, nope, one more. I promise this will be the last one more, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to look here before I make that statement. Yeah. And this album is the one. There's always one album a year, right? I know me and Jason used to talk about it. There's a couple we'd be like, hey, is this, should this qualify? Is it? Because, you know, this podcast is always, you know, right there in our tagline is hard rock, heavy metal. So obviously, if we're putting out a best of list, it's hard rock and metal. So we'd always go back and forth, we'd be like, would, is this heavy enough to make the list? And I had two albums this year. And one of them I said, fuck it, and put it on the list. I'll talk about that here in a bit. And the other one I didn't. The Rolling Stones put out their brand new album. And to me, you know, I just talked about them earlier, about how they're the definition of rock and roll. But I think after I listened to it the first time, I messaged Jason and I said, I should not be surprised at how good this is, but for some reason I am. You know, this is a band that's been together for, at this point, 60 years. They know how to write music. They know how to play music. They're a solid fucking unit. There's no, you know that what it is. You know what you're going to get, and you're going to get good music. But the tendency for a band that's been around 60 years, or there's not tons of them that have ever done this, but, you know, these 
bands that have been out 40, 50 years and they put out a new album, a lot of times it's just like, okay, you know, I listen to this once. There's a few songs that stick with me I'll go back to, but it's not something I ever go back to because I'm like, if I'm going to listen to the Rolling Stones, I'm going to go to the Rolling Stones I love. You know, I'm going to throw on a mix of all this shit from the 60s, 70s, whatever, you know. So I think that kind of just caught me off guard about how much I just latched onto this immediately. So I implore you, if you're a fan of rock and roll, if you're a fan of the Rolling Stones, and you had not heard this, you are missing out. This is a great album. And like I said, that I just think, well, it's the Rolling Stones. They're not hard rock. You know, I guess if this was 1965 and we were a podcast called Hard Rock, they would qualify. But, you know, at some point you got to draw the line, right? I'm going to mention a band here in this lineup, in this countdown here in a bit. That's, I would say, heavier than Rolling Stones, but they're not technically hard rock either so you're pretty you know people might be thinking why the fuck would you put that on there not put the stones but anyway you know i digress again why have i used that word so many times in this episode i barely ever use it anytime but all right top 23 of 2023 as i've said every year that we've done this jason and i started this podcast in 2015 so that was the first year and jason left the podcast in 2021. So 21, 22, 23. This is the third one I've done solo. You know, his first, what, five would that be? Five were done. Me and Jason co hosting and combining our lists. And I always talked about the fact that, you know, like a major publication, major, you know, whether it be like Rolling Stone or Spin or Billboard or, or you're a major, you know, website. When it comes to rock or metal, Loudwire, or just any kind of music alternative press, or any of these, you know, entities that, you know, are at the height of whatever their genre is, puts out a list. You know, here's the top 10 albums, or here's the top 23 albums of this year, researched by our experts, you know, and, you know, we banded together, you know our panel of eight to, you know, make these decisions, you know, or whatever, you know, this is technically, you know, a masterpiece by, you know, the purveyors of whatever, you know, just, you know, there's always some, you know, what's, you know, uppity kind of hoity-toity, holier-than-now bullshit about how the way a lot of these people present stuff, when it, at the end of the day, every fucking list is just someone's favorite albums. So instead of saying best of whatever, everything is just Hey, these are my 10 favorite albums of the year, right? You know, I'm, I can always look at stuff a lot of times when people ask me, yo, what do you think is, you know, the best Metallica song ever? You know, and I can reply back with, are you saying what is my favorite Metallica song ever? Or what do I think is the best Metallica song ever? Because I've got two different answers for you. So with all that being said, is what you're about to hear the best of 2023? is what I think are the best albums of the year. And I guarantee you that a lot of you listening think, you know, some of the albums I just mentioned should be on there. Some of the stuff I didn't even think to mention should be on there. Some of the stuff I'm about to mention shouldn't be on here, right? Or shouldn't be as high as it is, blah, blah, blah. This is hard rock, heavy metal. And I'm looking at my list right here in front of me on the computer screen. The first 
the first thing I'm going to talk about 23 is heavy as hell. And the last thing I'm going to talk about at number one is hard rock. So I span everything, you know, from these genres. There's lots of, you know, usually I like to count and see how many, you know, rock albums, how many metal albums, how many whatever, just by that year. How the hell I'll do it. Let me do this for you real quick. Let's go heavy metal since that'll be the first thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. I would say that eight of these 23 are heavy metal. And then I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I mean, that's pretty much everything else, right? That would fall into the hard rock line. There's a couple of them, you know, they're borderline. Either one, what do you call Alice Cooper? I call him hard rock. Blah, blah, blah. All right, let's jump into it. Number 23, Scar Symmetry, The Singularity, Phase 2, Xenotaph. The Singularity, Phase 2, came out nine years, I believe, after The Singularity, Phase 1. Singularity, Phase 1 came out in like 2014. And it was like, it was an EP, I believe, if I remember right. It has the song Limits to Infinity on it, which to me is like one of the greatest. I mean, I know that people that listen to you know, melodic death metal all the time. You probably think I'm crazy because, you know, I'm just picking kind of a popular song from a random band to say I, it's one of my favorites of all time. But again, it's a favorite. It doesn't say it's the best. I don't know. But because this is a genre that I, I love specific areas of it, scar symmetry, soil work, whatever, but I don't delve into the genre outside of the bands I listen to really. So what I'm saying is if, you're not a fan of that genre. Go listen to Limits It to Infinity. It just blows my mind. But this album, you know, picks up and, you know, Scar Symmetry continues to do their thing where they have amazing death vocals and amazing melodic vocals and just amazing music. You know, I mean, they're from Sweden. And I've said that a thousand times in this podcast that if you're from Sweden, you're automatically better than pretty much everyone else in the world, right? Not, you know, I don't know about as a human. I just meant as a musician. And speaking of, let me look here. That's another thing. I know there's got to be other Swedish albums on this list. Yep, there's one. There's two. There is three, four. Is that Sweden? There's four, maybe five. You know, so that tells you something right there, right? All right, number 22 is very much... A combination of what? English and American? Or no, sorry, Irish and American, which last in line. Jericho. Last in line, if you're not familiar with them. You know, you're listening to this podcast. I'm sure you're familiar with them, but real quickly. The band formed, it was the original members of Dio's band from the first three albums. As you know, last in line is a major Dio song. And album. And then they had a new singer, obviously. A new singer. They had a singer with them. You know, it was the three members from Dio's band. And now, of course, we're just down to Vivian and Vinny as the, you know, original members left. And, you know, they, they started, you know, when they would play shows, they would play, 
you know, obviously the Dio songs. And then they put out an album and now this is their third, it was a fourth album, third album, I believe, you know, and just every one after the other, you know, they're very much in that Dio sound, but they're also very much in that kind of English bluesy, heavy rock sound that I've really latched onto the last few years, you know, when it comes to bands like them and, and glorious, you know, stuff that lunch mob has always been doing stuff that, you know, Blackstone Cherry's kind of done a bit of, but it's just like that heavy, gritty, hard rock blues sound, you know, and then they do it, but they almost do it with a metal tinge as well. So last in line, great thing. Check it out. Check out Jericho. Number 21, Haunt, Golden Arm. Again, like I said, since I did not do as much notes as I normally do on all these things to have things to mention, I didn't look up the number, but Haunt, Trevor, you know, is the leader of Haunt, and he has now put out, I believe this is the seventh album, that's the thing, I wished I'd, seventh or eighth maybe, they've already got, you know, the, a new one coming out very soon, first single's out, fantastic, look it up, Haunt, you know, he just keeps pumping out music, and the thing I love, the thing you have to love if you're a fan of music is that he keeps pumping out music, but he's not pumping out shit, you know. Anyone can pump out music, right, at a fast rate. It's not something that a lot of people do. And he's been on this podcast twice and talked about the fact that, you know, he wants to release 20 albums, you know, because that's a feat that, you know, a lot of people don't reach. I just talked about that on the last episode with Brian Tyler. You know, Saxon just released their 24th album. And there's tons of bands that have been around as long as them or longer that aren't anywhere close to that many studio albums. And Trevor, at the the rate he produces music and produces high-quality music, is unstoppable. And Golden Arm, the, the man to me, just keeps progressing, keeps getting better. The albums to me just keep getting more solid. You know, it's like, this guy's already great and somehow it just keeps getting better, you know? I guess it's part of the bloodline he's from, right? But he... You know, like I said, he's already got a, a, the new single out for you know, his next album. And it's even that, you know, his vocals have kind of progressed even more in my opinion. It's just, just a band you definitely need to check out. If you're not familiar, check out Haunt. Number 20, Robin McCauley, Alive. This album came out at the beginning of 2023. And Robin McCauley has been on this podcast now three times, or no, four times. Three. Yeah. If you count the Eddie Van Halen tribute episode that we did but alive just another fantastic in the string of robin mccauley it's his second solo album of kind of this era you know he's done other solo albums but over the last you know few years he's put out the two black swan albums and now two solo albums and they're all in that kind of same vein of what you know he's best known for those years in the late 80s early 90s with michael shanker and mccauley shanker group you know, he's putting out great heavy music that just, the guy's vocals are just soaring and never stop. And he's just a rock phenomenon that had never got the just do that he deserves, in my opinion. Highly underrated. Just, if, if you're not one of those people that have ever kept up with him or even, you know, are familiar with his music, just go do it. Dive into these last two Macaulay albums and the last two Black Swan albums phenomenal stuff number 19 alice cooper road speaking of someone who is not underrated 
and definitely not overrated. One of the greats of all time. And this one, you know, Alice Cooper has kind of gone back and forth with me where like the albums, as far as the albums go, there was a string of them in the 90s and early 2000s that were phenomenal. And then there's the, you know, a few other ones that I've, you know, they're good. I've never just blown anything off or didn't like it, but it's not one of those ones where I might think, okay, this is, you know, an all-time great artist, an iris that I've loved since I was a kid. So they're automatically going to be on my list. That's usually not how it works, but this album came out and it immediately jumped out at me more than some recent stuff of his. It's, I wouldn't say it's a concept album, but it's a very themed album. The title of the album is Road. The songs are about being on the road as a musician. The songs are about performing, about, you know, that, that atmosphere. There's some other stuff in there, but it's, it revolves all around that. And it's just what Alice Cooper is great at. Great rock and roll. Hard rock. Alice Cooper is a phenom, you know, in my opinion. You know, he's just like, he's great at it. He's great at rock and roll. He's great at hard rock. He's great at heavy metal. He's great at shock rock. He's great at whatever avenue he steps into because he's one of the all-time greats, you know, and if and he's still phenomenal live. If you haven't had that chance to see him, you better do it quick. I mean, the man's getting older. You know, we've all only got so much time around here, right? All right, number 18, Rancid, Tomorrow Never Comes. Holy shit. I'm surprised. I'm actually kind of surprised right now looking at this that that I didn't put this higher on my list because I listened to this album a ton. It has two or three songs on there. The title track, unbelievable. That just slammed me to the wall. I was like, holy shit, Rancid is back. You know, it's not like they, and they never even left. You know, they've been on, you know, the best of Thunder Underground end of year list a couple times. And, you know, I've always loved their albums, but just something about this album, I'm like, holy shit, you know, I mean, you know, the standard bearer for a Rancid album is always going to be out and out come the wolves. You know, it, you know, I hate saying that about a classic album from, what, 28 years ago now, 29 years ago that, you know, but it's, you know, it's a fact. And this album, you know, harkens back to that to me. So that's all you need to know. If you hadn't listened to this album, do it. Number 17, Metallica, 72 Seasons. Again, kind of shocked this isn't higher. I'm sure there's a couple, I know at least a couple people listening will be like, what the fuck's this solo for? But, you know, I look at the list and there's bands above this on the list that I like Metallica better than, but the albums that I'm going to mention in a while just hit me more than this one did. Which is kind of weird to say because a lot of people have been very high on this album. And it's a good album and I like it, but I don't like it anywhere near as much as I liked Hardwired to Self-Destruct. And so, and I know that you really, especially on something like this, shouldn't be comparing an album's worth to an artist's previous work, right? I mean, people do it all the time, especially with this band I'm talking about right now, but they do it with albums that came out fucking 40 years ago now, you know, or 35 to 40 years ago, we're talking albums in the 80s. I'm talking about an album that came out seven years ago. So, I don't know. This isn't a great album with great songs, but again, I didn't dive into it the same way I did Hardwired. 
And so maybe that's what affected me in the same way, the same way I talked about extreme earlier. Maybe if I listened to this more, it would have hit me different. And in fact, I think I'm going to do that. Just letting you know, I'm going to dive back into this thing. All right. Number 16, Avatar. Dance, Devil, Dance. Another band that has continuously put out great music. They continuously, they don't change their sound, but they change what they're doing. You know, they, if that makes sense, you know, they, you get the, you go to a stage, you know, go see them live. You're going to get a similar stage show, but every album just kind of has like a, a theme or a style to it that may, might not have been there in the album before but yet they're managing to still say, stay true to themselves. You know, I mean, obviously not true to where they started a long ass time ago. You know, they changed that well before they got huge, you know, but this album right along the lines with all the recent music of the last decade. Another band from Sweden that is continually excellent. Johannes from Avatar was on this podcast many years ago. Very cool. Very glad we got to do that. And and hell, one of the great songs in this album is called Chimp Mosh Pit. I mean, how can you not go? I mean, how can you not love an album or, a, you know, with a song called Chimp Mosh Pit, right? All right, number 15, Elegant Weapons, Horns for a Halo. Richie Faulkner of Judas Priest has a new band. I mean, a side band, a side project called Elegant Weapons. And this one is very, you know, it shouldn't be hard to describe. You know, it's metal. But it's also got hard rock tendencies. But it doesn't sound like Judas Priest or anything. I mean, Richie Faulkner is very much a guy that can, you know, play in any style, I'm sure. But he's not defined by what he does because he's not, Judas Priest wasn't his original, you know, he's not the originator of that sound, right? So, but say there's a song on this album called Blind Leading the Blind that is very much kind of in the vein of that stuff I talked about earlier when I was talking about Last in Line that where the vocals to me hearken to that inglorious Last in Line lynch mob Robin McCauley kind of, you know, that very English blues metal, or if that's a, even a genre, English blues, hard rock, whatever. Um there's also a song in here called Bitter Pill, which is excellent. It's just a very much a metal album that if you're into hard rock or metal, I absolutely think you'll dig this album, and it's something that very that you need to hear. Okay, moving on to number 14, Mammoth WVH, Mammoth 2. Does that mean that the third album will be called Women and Children First? No, anyway, sorry. I had, you know, had to be that dumbass. I'm not even going to go on a tangent about how much I hate Van Halen fans that talk shit about this guy, you know, because I'm a Van Halen fan through and through. And I'm a fan of this guy and, you know, not even going to go into that, even though I just did. Right. But Mammoth 2 is better than Mammoth 1, Mammoth 1 to me. And like the fuck, you know, it's like that album was great. But there's something about this album just like excites me. You know, when you hear it and just hear how great it is, the fact that this guy's playing these instruments and just writing this music. And, you know, barring some tragedy, we've got a lifetime in front of us of hearing music from this guy. You know, so I just can't wait to see where we go, you know. 
very, you know, another thing that is, you know, board, straddles that line. Like who did I mention earlier? I don't know, but like, like we've talked about that seven dust does where you can almost be hard rock at times, almost be extremely heavy at times, but just straddle that heavy metal line to where, you know, you're accessible to those people that don't like super heavy stuff. You know, Mammoth is heavy, but it's very melodic and just pure rock as well. So check that out. All right, number 13. This is the album that I mentioned that I kind of went back and forth on if I should put this on. Marvelous 3. 4. Roman numeral 4 is the name of the album because it's the fourth album that they put out. Now, this is the one I'm going to try to not go on a tangent on. I put it on because it's not hard rock by definition, but it's, I would say that Marvelous 3 falls into that power pop. It's definitely not pop punk. I fucking hate pop punk for the most part. So just, but it's very, you know, it's very pop centric, but it's very rock and roll centric as well. Very happy sounding, I guess is a way to put it. But Bushwalker, you know, the leader of Marvelous 3, has like this, just this amazing career. You know, this amazing story that started in glam metal with the band South Gang. Then after that ended, and he began in the, you know, in the 90s with Marvelous 3, the late 90s, they got signed, put out two albums. And then I can't remember what the story was on what the, the label was wanting them to do something with the third album they weren't happy about. They couldn't get out of the contract. So rather than put out, just rush out an album or put out some compilation or some live thing to fulfill it as a fuck you to the label, they just said, we're breaking up and never getting back together. And they did that in like 2002, maybe? I can't, I should have looked that up. Um, Very early 2000s. And then Butch Walker went on, started putting out solo albums in his first, it's the first solo album, maybe the first two, you know, very much fit into that Marvelous 3 vein before, you know, Butch Walker shifted into what he became. And when this, you know, and he'd, they had always said that this wouldn't happen and they ended up, you know, scheduling some shows earlier this, was that earlier this year? No, this just happened the, I feel like they did a reunion at some point is what it was last year or the year before for the first time in a long time, like in a live show. And then they did these shows this past year in like Chicago and Atlanta where they played the first couple albums in their entirety. Um, and this new album, like I didn't even, I don't know if I had just been keeping up on the news very well when it came to this stuff, but a single popped up on Spotify and I'm like, what the hell is this? And I looked it up and then they had, a new album coming out and it just blew my mind. I was like, so I don't know if the story was that they kind of ran the limit and got past that contract and now they can get back together and they don't owe that label an album or what the story was. It'd be interesting to look into, but Marvelous 3, those first two albums, still to this day, you know, I'll put on every once in a while and just crank them up endlessly. Like the two albums, you know, actually three albums, sorry, but really the second and third ones are the ones I latched onto. The first one's Got great stuff, but and this fourth one very much falls right into that vein. You know, Butch Walker is one of the greatest rock and roll lyricists of all time, in my opinion. He's very tongue in cheek. He's very clever. 
you know, it's just in the same way you would say someone like Neil Fallon is, but in a totally different style of writing, you know. So, again, if you love heavy metal, you're not going to like, if you're very, you know, if you are very narrow in your love of metal or hard rock, you probably won't dig Marvelous 3, but if you love all different kinds of stuff, and you love, like, power pop, power rock, Cheap Trick, there's a good example. If you love, like, Cheap Trick at their at their core, I would think you would love Marvelous 3. All right. I think I did all right there. I didn't go too deep, right? I don't know. Okay, number 12, Duff McKagan, Lighthouse. Duff McKagan, of course, is the bass player of Guns N' Roses. He's had many solo albums throughout the years. Most recently, he did one just like three years ago, or two two or three years ago, where Shooter Jennings produced it. And then I don't believe he produced this one. I need to look that up. But this to me is his best, his most solid album straight through, just because it's very much like, it just seemed like a little bit of a departure. It just reminded me like almost of like Mark Lanigan at times, or like there's even points where I thought of like, not really Chris Isaac. I'm trying to think. Just very brooding. Is that like a not a dumb term to use? Like or like you know, and, and Duff McKagan has one of those voices where at times it sounds it does, you know, it it's not something you would say, oh man, he's got one of the greatest voices of all time, right? You know, he's got a great rock and roll voice when it comes to like, you know, punk stuff or like just straight up rock and roll. But a lot of times, you know, I I feel like in recent memory, whenever Duff sings more laid back music, his voice has gotten so much cooler throughout the years. So, you know, and I've actually seen negative things about this album. I can't remember what. I just remember reading stuff and I was like, what the fuck? But it's like, you know, I get it, I guess, if you're not into that kind of vein, because it's not... It's not hard rock really at all, but I just kind of included it because it's rock and it's got a darkness to it and it's a hard rock musician. So, again, I think it's worth checking out if you're a fan of Duff McKagan at all. If you're just, like I said, with all this, check it out. Number 11, Night Demon, Outsider. Night Demon. Wow. Another band that if you're not familiar with, I implore you. Look them up, follow them on all the socials, and start listening to their music. They've been around now less than a decade, pretty much, and they've been on this podcast like four times. Um, most recently, this past spring, not long after the album had come out, Jarvis was back on the podcast. Got a chance to see him live at the first two minutes of Tulsa, like right, I believe it was the day this album came out, or the day after, I think. Um, this to me is their most complete and best album yet. And they've already done great stuff. Outsider, the title track alone is worth your money. And I know a lot of you don't spend money on music, but you should probably go buy Night Demon's vinyl. And anytime they're in your area, you need to check them out. If you're listening to this app and you're in Iowa, or if you're in Mexico, or if you're in Europe, you're going to have a chance to see these guys because they tour all over this country and all over this world all the fucking time. So look them up and get on the Night Demon train. 
one of the greatest, you know, bands that I've discovered because of this podcast. Not really because of this podcast. They've just been a big friend of this podcast. I discovered them because of my friend JP, who is my former co-host Jason's cousin. And he said, you got to check these guys out. He grew up with, with Jarvis and Armand from the band, you know, and many years ago, I believe it was 2016 maybe or 2015. It was the beginning of our, about the beginning of our podcast. They were, they came to Tulsa and he's like, you've got to come downtown and check these guys out. So we did. And, you know, we've had him on the podcast any chance we get since. So look him up. Number 10, Winger 7. Does that mean this is Winger's seventh album? Yeah, it does. See there, Winger's been around now 35, 36 years. Seven albums. So what was I just telling you earlier about Haunt and about Saxon, about these bands that pump out albums? It's not common. I mean, Winger's an exception, you know, because they've spent a lot of time apart throughout the years, but still. I mean, that's an example of a very well-known band that has seven albums over the span of 36 years. So, but back to what we're talking about, which is the album. I'm not going to go into all you idiots that blow this band off because of a cartoon from the 90s or because, you know, you're blinded by the fact that you didn't like, you know, glam or, you know, 80s rock or hair metal or whatever you want to call it. But Winger, you know, since, you know, I mean, every album has been great and, you know, that album Pool, which came out in 93, is still the greatest album they've ever done, in my opinion. And to me, I'm, I would put Seven at the second best album they've ever done. I, I go that high with this. So I'm kind of surprised. I almost put this high. I should have put this higher. I'm not saying almost. I don't know why I didn't now that I'm thinking about it. But, I mean, number the, second, the first two albums by Winger are classics. You know, if you're into this genre of rock, you know them. You know, the debut album and then Winger 2 in the Heart of Young. Both fantastic albums. But to me, this is just, the band has like progressed so much throughout the years. You have four or now five in on this album. Five, you know, unbelievable musicians. And they've stayed the core, the same original band members the whole time. Paul Taylor has come and went, but he's never, there's been times when he wasn't there. And, you know, John Roth wasn't an original member, but he just joined in at, you know, around the pool era. And I believe if, if I'm trying to think how to say this right, when they released this album, this is the first album where all five members, all five of those guys were on every song of the album. Maybe that's right. But regardless, just a solid album from beginning to finish or from start to finish that this band is so much more than what you think they are. If you don't listen to them, I promise you. Just give it a go. Number nine, Jared James Nichols, self-titled Jared James Nichols. Another person, if you're not familiar with, I think I would throw him in the vein of what I've been talking about, that English hard rock kind of, sorry, English blues rock kind of vein that, you know, we talk about. But it's not from England, right? So whatever. Just another great album from this guy continuously putting out, you know, modern blues rock that is so, you know, just so well-crafted. You know, his guitar work and his vocals are both phenomenal. I mean, obviously his guitar work is otherworldly. You know, this guy is like, you know, not even been around, what at this point, like seven years, maybe his debut album. And, you know, 
you know, he's already performed with all kinds of legends, you know, out there just constantly pounding the pavement in the live scene, putting out great music. I can't implore you enough. You know, obviously I'm digging, you know, the heavy blues rock that, you know, I've talked about with many of these bands already talked about throughout the year. We'll talk about more throughout the year and I'll probably talk about here on another album or two coming up. But Jared James Nichols, once again, if you're not familiar, look him up. Number eight. Remember when I mentioned that stuff that came onto my scene like at the end of the year? Nighthawk. Prowler. I remember when this was announced and I totally forgot that it came out or to check it out. But Nighthawk is a band that came out, like I believe this Prowler is their second album, maybe third. But it's the first album that features Bjorn Strid from Sorowork as the vocalist. But if you know Sorowork, this doesn't sound anything like Sorowork. If you're familiar with Bjorn from the Night Flight Orchestra, that's what this sounds like. So to me, when I first heard it, I was kind of shocked at how much this just sounds like the Night Flight Orchestra. So is it what Night Hawk was doing, but they got now they got Bjorn and his vocals, of course, are going to make it sound like, since they're already in that genre, right? But this band, just like Nightflight Orchestra, very much captures the essence of the late 70s, early 80s kind of AOR rock. You know, when you think of a band like Kiss or Foreigner or, you know, what Sammy Hagar was doing back then or, you know, like I said earlier, Cheap Trick or I can't, you know, even, you know, I've mentioned even like Fleetwood Mac when it comes to some Night Flight songs, but Nighthawk is a little more, you know, just straightforward, the rock side of that with like, or the hard rock side of that, like the Night Flight Orchestra's first couple of albums were before they went a little more, you know, 80s centric sound with like kind of the AOR keyboard style stuff. But Nighthawk, if you're into everything I've mentioned or you know anything about Bjorn or Night Flight and you haven't heard this album, you need to listen to Prowler. Number seven, Danko Jones, Electric Sounds. And I was thinking about this when I wrote down Electric Sounds, that that's like the perfect album title for a Danko Jones album. Danko Jones is another artist who's been on this podcast before. And I absolutely love this guy. I've said it many times throughout the years that this band is one of the most underrated rock bands of modern history. They're very much, you know, without the mainstream fanfare or, you know, worldwide, you know, just like massive success of ACDC. To me, they're the modern ACDC when it comes to you know what you're going to get. You know the style you're going to get. You know the themes you're probably going to get. And that's actually something, you know, I talked about on the episode with Denko the year before last, I believe it was. That was a pretty fun one. But, you know, this guy's so in tune with rock and roll, like at its core, that, you know, Denko Jones has now been around for 20 years. And they're one of those bands that, you know, probably I should look that up. Probably have a 10 albums now. And, if you, they're one of the few bands where you put 10 albums in a playlist and hit shuffle, I would never skip a song. 
because this band just does no wrong in my opinion. It's pure hard rock. It's pure rock and roll. It's just pure purity at its core that just you don't fuck with, you know, and this is just, again, you know, I'm kind of at a loss for it because I feel like I use the same adjectives a lot to describe this stuff, but Danko Jones is both simplistic, bombastic, and amazing at the same time. And you need to check out this album if you haven't. And you need to check out just every album that's ever been put out. Please. Okay, number six. The Winery Dogs. Three. Man, how many albums have we talked about with a number that is not a number? The first one was Phase 2. Then we had 72 Seasons. Then we had Mammoth 2. Then we had Marvelous 3, 4. Winger 7. Winery Dogs. So this is the sixth album on this list, and it looks like the last one that's got a number and a title. Okay. Why did I even count? Why do you even need to know? But Winery Dogs. Again, really quickly, Billy Sheehan, Mike Portnoy, Richie Kotzen. Three, not three great musicians, three of the greatest musicians of all time. And I don't say that loosely. I use the words amazing, great, underrated, overrated, all the, of all time a lot, but I don't know that I've ever said that three members of a specific band are three of the greatest of all time at what they do. That's not disputable either, in my opinion. And I will say that Richie Kotzen, I believe, is one of the most underrated musicians in the history of rock and roll of any genre. And that's not an overstatement of just a fan. That's just the truth. What this band has done from the get-go, this is the third album, obviously, by the title. They have they did everything that you're supposed to do when you make a super group. They look amazing on paper, and then they put the music out, and holy fuck, was it amazing. It was as great as you expect it to be. You know, you've got Richie Kotzen, who is a phenomenal guitarist and just as phenomenal vocalist. And then you've got the other two guys that are literally, if not the best, in the top five at their instrument and their genre of all time, hands down. And they formed one of the greatest bands to debut in the past decade, the past, in the 21st century, actually. I'd put them in the top five to ten bands that have debuted since the year 2000. So if you're not familiar, again, check it out. Okay, we're getting to the top five, the nitty gritty. Number five, and here is, this is big. This is big, people. This is big for me, at least. Maybe not big for you. But the fact that this album is not only on my list, but at number five, blows my mind. If you had told me this album was coming out, where do you think it's going to be on your top 23? I'd say probably 24. And I'm not exaggerating. Probably not even 24. I was just trying to be funny and saying it's not going to be on the list. But the band I'm talking about is In Flames, and the album is Foregone. I'm going to try to not go into it. I've had this love relationship with In Flames since, you know, I wasn't there from the beginning. I'm not going to lie. I got into them like a lot of American metal fans did. About 20, at this point, 22 years ago, 23, whenever Reroute to Remain came out, like 2001 or two. 
I was like, you know, it fucking opened me up to like stuff, you know, in flames and soil work, natural born chaos around the same time. Two albums that just got me into all that Swedish stuff. You know, I mean, I still, there's tons of it that I never got into. And like I said earlier about Scar Symmetry, I never delved too far into the genre just like as a whole, like I do with, you know, hard rock or thrash metal or stoner metal or some of these other genres. But it's like, I love it. But I really latch on to certain artists and In Flames was one of those. And then, of course, we know what happened. If you're a fan of metal and you're a fan of In Flames, you know, you've probably got some strong opinions one way or the other. And again, I'm not knocking it. You know, Metallica and all these other bands, you know, went more radio friendly at times and then came back around. They don't have to come back around. They're their own people. They're making the music. They can do whatever the fuck they want. But In Flames came back around and they came back around strong as fuck. Foregone. Is just blew my mind at how great this was, how much I liked it. You know, the last couple albums before this were about halfway there for me. You know, they had the stuff that harkened back to what I loved about this band. And they also had kind of that, you know, let's see if we can get a radio hit song or two on there. But, you know, and maybe there's, you know, maybe I'm not thinking. I know there's a song or two on here that, you know, would fit in a radio rock format. But that, this this album just completely brought me back. And I just, I can't express enough about how happy I am. And I hope that it continues that way, even if it doesn't. At least I got this moment to have In Flames back where they belong in the top five of an end of year list, right? All right. Number four. Tigers of Pantang. Bloodlines. Holy shit, people. Holy shit. This album, honestly... The more I think about it, it could just be number one. I mean, when you get up to this high on the list, you know, you're just, everything's kind of, you know, up there. Could be there, right? But if you're not familiar with this band, they're one, you know, of the purveyors of the new wave of British heavy metal. One of the bands that, you know, made a name back then, you know, in the heyday of this, I'm talking in the 80s. But didn't get to the level, obviously, of, you know, Maiden or Def Leppard or Saxon or anybody. But they, you know, they made it to a point to where I heard of them. When I was a kid, you know, when I would see magazines, I always saw that name because the name stood out. You know, I always thought, I wonder, you know, and I, there was a long time where I just thought they were kind of like a, an obscure glam band because the name kind of fit that style to me and you know, and then at some point, you know, years later, you know, probably when I was a teenager at some point, I found out what they were, that kind of thing. But still, I never delved into that stuff, you know, for a good chunk until the last five, ten years. You know, and this band is one of the bands that, you know, have come back and put out several albums that are great over the past decade. And this album just grabs you from the get-go and never lets up. You know, the new wave of British heavy metal... But it's like modernized to where it's like it has all of that feel, but it also feels very much fresh to me as well. I can't express enough how great this is. Because I, I know that there's people listening right now that have not heard this album. And I promise you that if you like hard rock or you like metal, you're going to, I mean, you're going to have a good time at least at some point in this album, I hope. If you don't, I don't know what's wrong. 
number three. Here's another one that I'm shocked that it's this high. Not because it shouldn't be. Not because other people wouldn't have it there. Because, and not because of a reason like in flames. But for a reason like, who was it I said earlier? Mm. Sorry for the little... You know, you know, there's there's always band like I said with Seven Dust, I'm shocked they weren't on. Because usually when Seven Dust puts out an album, it's gonna be on the list some point somewhere for me. But it's the Foo Fighters. But here we are. And Foo Fighters are a band that I've always loved from the get-go. There's never been a point where I didn't like them. I've listened to every album, as that you know, every album that's come out has it's come out. Some greater than others. But my thing with Foo Fighters is there's a lot of albums where there's not bad songs on it, but there'll be like half the album I don't, doesn't stick with me. I'll go back and listen to stuff here or there, and I don't. There's not a lot of Foo Fighters albums where I go delve straight in. Sonic Highways, I did that with, but you know, for the most part, what I'm trying to say is a Foo Fighters album doesn't grab me as a whole, usually. But here we are, really did that. And Rescued. The, the lead-off single for this is absolutely one of the greatest songs they've ever released. Under You. Is an, I don't I think that came out as a single as well, maybe? Unbelievable. This band... You know, I don't want to speak for, you know... You know, I don't know. But if you listen to these, these lyrics of these songs, there's like ten songs, I think. Probably every one of them, but maybe... I think there's maybe one song to where it didn't hit me in that way, but... Dave Grohl lost, not, you know, everyone knows that he lost Taylor Hawkins before this album was recorded, but he also lost his mother. And you, not only did he lose, you know, a very close friend and bandmate, but he lost his freaking mother. You know, so you hear it in these nine track, nine of these 10 tracks, the lyrics are very much about someone or something or the feeling of losing, you know, and... I, I said it whenever Hell Yeah put out, you know, their their most recent album a few years ago after Vinny passed away. I don't know. I can't speak and say if it's true, but it very much feels like the loss of Taylor propelled them to put out some of the most amazing music they ever have. You know, and I don't mean like they're like, oh, we're going to go do this. I just mean like the emotion and the in the writing, you know, just came through in another way, you know from Dave for his mother and for his friends. So again, I know they're a band that, you know, a lot of people are divided on. They're just a, you know, a great hard rock band in my opinion. And this album is one of their greatest albums ever. Speaking of a great hard rock band, number two is Dirty Honey, Can't Frighten the Breaks. Dirty Honey. Where I go here. I've raved about this band so much over the past five years, six years. I think that first EP came out. This is the second full length. This band, I can't, I don't know how to say this without sounding like, I'm going to do it again on the next, on the final band here, but in these last two bands have really recaptured rock and roll for me. They, you know, everything I've said this repeatedly, everything that Greta Van Fleet, has gotten popular for. 
these two bands, Dirty Honey and Number One, are doing it exponentially better than Greta Van Fleet. And I'm not going to go into that rant. Greta Van Fleet is obviously a talented band. But they're obviously a clone of another band. We know that, right? And Dirty Honey very much sounds like time periods colliding. It doesn't sound like a specific artist. There's times where I've said, like, his vocals remind me of specific artists. But, and the music reminds me of a certain artist here or there. But the best way to put it is the music, you know, can sound like a band like Black Crows or like a, you know, a bluesy hard rock band combined with the vocals of like an 80s rock singer or something where like it just takes it to this otherworldly level. You know, his vocals are phenomenal. The songwriting's phenomenal. The guitar work just, I just, I can't express how much I think that this band is destined for greatness. They're already great, but just destined for rock and roll greatness. You know, I could be wrong. Someone could find this in a time capsule in the year 3012 and be like, who the fuck is he talking about? We heard of the Foo Fighters, but we don't know who Dirty Honey is, but hopefully I'm wrong. Can't Find the Breaks, I believe, is a great title name for this band's career, and I hope that I'm right. And I say that just as much and even more about number one, which is Rival Sons, Dark Fighter, and Lightbringer. Yes, for the first time ever, number one is probably the first time at any position on a lineup. Number one is the combination of two albums. And that's another thing I went back and forth with. But finally, I thought, you know what? Lightbringer was an EP. It came out later. And they put out two albums last year. They put out. Dark Friday, which has eight or nine songs. It's like over 30 minutes, like 40 minutes, right? I think so. That's an album. And then Lightbringer came out later in the year, like five songs. But, you know, they're very much kind of a theme together, as you can tell by the titles. And, you know, just it belongs together, in my opinion. So I thought, throw the EP on with it. It's got great songs on it as well. I mean, amazing songs on it as well. This band does not do wrong. Another band, like I mentioned with Denko, just in a totally different, you know, style that the music is phenomenal. The music, this band to me, I hope I'm right. But what I just said about Dirty Honey, I think tenfold about Rival Sons. I think that, you know, gener generations from now, you know, I'm talking what I'm in my 40s. When I'm, whenever I'm 95, God willing, 50 years from now. Future generations will be talking about the rival sons the way we talk about Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin, Metallica, The Who, The Rolling Stones. I'm talking as an all-timer. You know, is that destined to happen? Who knows? But I feel like it it should, you know, it obviously should, but I feel like it will. I mean, this album, this band's already like Another one, I should have looked up the count, but we're like six albums deep, six, seven albums, seven albums deep in their career. And they haven't even been around like 15 years. They're the band of the 21st century when it comes to rock and roll. This, you know, and if you've, you know, I talked about them live when we've seen them live throughout the years. I've seen them four times now, I think, maybe five. One of the greatest vocalists you'll ever see live when it comes to rock and roll. Just 
the music just defies genres, even though they very much have a vintage sound at times. They very much defy genres and just are everything that a rock band should be. If you don't listen to Rival Sons, please start. Just pick a song. It doesn't have to be on one of these albums, but, you know, that's a good question for people. I've always, you know, when you listen to a band for the first time and you're not specifically listening to something someone told you to, do you go to their newest or do you go to their oldest music? Personally, I usually go to the newest stuff. I don't know. I think it's just to see what this band's doing currently, and if I dig it, then I'll start going backwards, which isn't always the perfect case for things, because, you know, we talk about In Flames, right? If I'd heard In Flames for the first time six years, seven years ago, I would have thought, all right, that's, you know, a cool, heavy band, but I would have never fallen in love with them the same way I did when I heard their first, you know, not their first time, but the first time I heard, you know, so... Who knows? Why did I even, you know, go into that tangent? But what I'm saying is, you know, it's an interesting thing to talk about. Maybe I'll bring that up to people in the future. But there you go. Best of 2023. Excessively late. Rival Sons, number one. That's the second time they've been number one, I believe, because they were number one with their album Feral Roots when Jason was still around. We had that as a consensus number one. Dirty Honey's last album was up there near the top. It might have been at the top. Let me look at the list. I know that the Winery Dogs have been at the top before. Denko Jones has been on the list every time an album's come out. I know Avatar is obviously a re- repeat offender. Haunt. Last in line. Well, there you go. I appreciate you being here if you made it this far. And like I said, I think, let me look at the time here. It is now, well, over an hour and a half. So I, I think I did okay as far as condensing that more than I normally would because, you know, at the first 30 minutes at least of this were me talking about Metallica and Saudi and the Long Beach Dub All-Stars in Japan and then jumping into this. So probably a little under or about an hour for talking about 23 songs is good because usually these best of episodes go two hours just talking about that stuff. So with that being said, I appreciate you checking this out if you did. You know, if if you have albums that didn't make my list that you absolutely love, you know, throw it in the comments. Shoot us a message, whatever it is you do. If this is the first time that you're listening, I think this is probably a weird episode to jump into for the first time, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Like I said, these, these best of the year episodes have been out at the end of every year, starting with 2015. This is now 2024, and this May will be the ninth anniversary of the first episode of this podcast. Crazy to think about. Coming up very shortly, probably later this week, Gus G will be on this podcast. I recorded this episode with Gus just a couple days ago. Absolutely, you know, a phenomenal rock and roll guitarist that, excuse me, a heavy metal guitarist that many, many people don't know by name, but should. But we're going to talk about all that. Very excited to get into talking about, you know, Firewind and Ozzy and everything with Gus. And then I'm recording another one this week with another artist I love. And I'll mention that once it happens. Got more stuff coming up. More things to look forward to. If you, you know, if you you want to go backwards and check out some stuff that you haven't heard before. Like I said, all kinds of, you know, 
let me pull my list up here again. These bands that I just mentioned that were on this top 23 countdown, Dirty Honey has been on here before. Denko Jones, Jared James Nichols, Reb Beach from Winger, Night Demon, Avatar, Robin McCauley, Haunt. See, what's that? Eight. Eight of the 23 top spots, you know, I've had members on this podcast. As well as, you know, what? D. Snyder, Gene Simmons, Jeff Tate, Frank Hannon. Dizzy Reed, Glenn Hughes, Vanilla Ice. I know that's random as hell, right? Shooter Jennings. Members of Warrant, White Snake, Motley Crue, Megadeth, Testament, Prong, Typo Negative, White Snake. Already said White Snake. White Zombie. Slaughter. Mark Slaughter's been on here. Members of Avatar, Shine Down, Saliva, Trapped. Seven Dust, Corrosion and Conformity, Skillet, Sons of Texas. The list goes on and on. People, 387 episodes before this. So dive in there. TheThunderUnderground.com. You can find us on all the socials. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, hit like or subscribe so you don't miss future episodes like that Gus G episode. And yeah, you can listen directly on the website as well. Anytime you see a post on the social media, just like it or comment or share. That helps out greatly. It's much appreciated. Once again, a huge thank you to DEB Concerts and Sunset Tattoo. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. (laughs) 